Welcome to the Institute of Buddhist Studies podcast. The following is part six and the final part of Dennis Hidota's 2010 Budokoku lecture series entitled Shinran's Phenomenology of Religious Life. Professor Hirota spoke at the Institute in March of 2010 over the course of three days. Please be sure to download this complete series of lectures from our website at podcast.shin-ibs.edu or directly from the iTunes Music Store. Uh, I'd like to uh, continue uh, with the paper uh, from where we left off, uh, the next section, uh, entering the field of discriminative awareness. A further similarity between the conceptual structure of Shinran Shinen and Heidegger's discussion of Husus uh, is that both terms are employed uh, to offer an account of the apprehension of what is real, while at the same time maintaining a dimension of non-duality between object and subject. Once again, this pattern of thought arises from confronting a shared problematic uh, in the effort to avoid reification or an absolutized economy. Heidegger speaks uh, of the historical narrowing of Fusus in the direction of the physical uh, in opposition to the psychical. Um, this is historically in, in Western tradition, uh, the, the, the meaning of Fusus, uh, I, I think probably in, in Heidegger's uh, thinking, uh, the, the original meaning uh, became uh, clouded, uh, lost, uh, and Fusus became uh, very narrow. Uh, but for early Greek thinkers like Paramedes, uh, Paramedes, uh, being and thinking uh, in uh, the sense of contending against each other are unified. Heidegger explains, uh, how are we to understand this? Let us base our answer on being, uh, which as Fusus has become clear to us in various respects. Being means standing in the light, appearing, stepping into unconcealment. Uh, where this happens, that is where being holds sway, apprehension holds sway to, and happens to uh, as belonging to being. Uh, and and uh, here, the standing in the light, appearing, uh, stepping into unconcealment, uh, uh, the the existence of the world of things around us. Uh, further, uh, in further explicating uh, Parmenides, uh, apprehension happens for the sake of being. Being essentially unfolds as appearing, as stepping into unconcealment. Only if unconcealment happens, only if a self-opening happens. Apprehension belongs to Fusus. The sway of Fusus shares its sway with apprehension. Uh, if the arising of truth to finite human existence is possible, apprehension must occur uh, as the opposed, opposite face uh, of the emergence of beings and not as the mere imposition of a conceptual grasp by a transcendent subject. Human apprehension also is thus an aspect of the unfolding of being, and it may be said that apprehension belongs to Fusus, where Fusus itself is a dimension of being. Chinran makes a structurally similar assertion when he states, Tathagatha, formless reality, suchness, dharma nature, and so on. Tathagatha pervades the countless worlds. It fills the hearts and minds of the ocean of all beings. Thus plants, trees, and land all attain Buddhahood. Uh, since it is 
with this heart and mind of all sentient beings that they entrust themselves to the vow of the Dharma body of compassionate means, that is Amida. Uh, this Shinjin is none other than Buddha nature. In other words, Shinjin as the apprehension of Amida Buddha who brings beings to know that Supreme Buddha is formless, itself belongs to uh, Tathagata, that is Shinjin is itself uh, Tathagata or Buddha nature. Uh, Shinran states that Shinjin as the Buddha mind is directed to or given to beings. Uh, we will take up uh, this sense of givenness uh, and the response of gratitude below. When Heidegger states that apprehension happens for the sake of being in the passage quoted earlier, there's a suggestion of anthropomorphism that is perhaps inescapable in seeking to express the dynamic of an underlying non-duality of subject and object in the arising of human truth. Shin Shinran goes further in this direction in his development of the concept of Jinen, asserting that its functioning in taking form is specifically directed to awakening persons to formlessness. His assessment of the depth of the ignorant self-attachment that must be broken through for apprehension of truth to take place results in a conception of Jinen as the active creation of form, Amida, vow, name, that awakens beings to formlessness. As the essential purport of the vow, Amida vowed to bring us all to become Supreme Buddha. In On the Essence of Truth, Heidegger appears more optimistic uh, that absorption in the dimension of forgetfulness of the mystery can be overcome through a shift toward philosophical thinking. The glimpse into the mystery out of errancy is a questioning in the sense of that unique question of what beings as such are as a whole. Nevertheless, the fundamental structural elements in Shinran have their echo in those more generally applied in Heidegger. Shinran treats the polarity of the movement across the threshold of intelligibility in terms of the twofold Dharma body, a concept he borrows from the Chinese uh, Pure Land Buddhist master Tuan Luan, who states all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have Dharma bodies of two dimensions. Dharma body as Dharma nature and Dharma body as compassionate means. Dharma body as compassionate means arises from Dharma body as Dharma nature. And Dharma body as Dharma nature emerges into human awareness from Dharma body as compassionate means. Dharma body as Dharma nature is synonymous with suchness or formless reality. And Chinran takes Dharma body as compassionate means to refer specifically to Amida Buddha, whose vow to liberate all beings and whose name, Nembutsu, uh, provide conceptual form. Com compassionate means refers to manifesting form, revealing a name, and making itself known to sentient beings. As we have seen, Chinran states that Amida Buddha fulfills the purpose of making us know the significance of Jinen. The two poles that embody the dynamic of Jinen uh, and between which it moves may be identified as the dimension of formlessness and non-discrimination beyond word and conception 
and the dimension of discriminative apprehension, thought, and language. For both Shinran and Heidegger, the tendency of persons is to become absorbed solely in practical concerns within the realm of the latter dimension, condemning oneself to a truncated life of clinging. Shinran calls this attitude afflicting passions, which are inherent in human existence, and calculative thinking, which falls away. And on the essence of truth, Heidegger calls it errancy, oblivion, and forgetfulness of the mystery. Heidegger develops this notion of being as Fuss's emergent self-upraising by adopting the term polemus from Heraclitus in order to treat the polarity informing the movement of entrance into the field of discriminative apprehension. In Introduction to Metaphysics, he quotes Heraclitus, and, and the quotation is, is uh, apparently uh, quite different from the usual interpretation. It is translated here according to Heidegger's intra- uh, interpretation. A confrontation polemos is indeed for all that come to presence, the sire who lets emerge, but also for all uh, the preserver that holds sway. For it lets some appear as gods, others as human beings. Some it produces, sets forth as slaves, but others as the free. Heidegger explains polemos as Heraclitus thinks it, struggle, polemus, first and foremost, allows what essentially unfolds to step apart in opposition. First allows uh, position and status and rank to establish themselves in coming to presence. The confrontation, in confrontation, world comes to be. The struggle meant here is originary struggle, for it allows those that struggle to originate as such in the first place. Although Heraclitus's polemos may strongly suggest conflict and strife, Heidegger's emphasis falls rather on the rendering of the differentiation inherent in apprehension, struggle in the sense of confrontation, the setting apart from each other. Here, Heidegger's concern appears to be the discriminative nature of human awareness, distinguishing subject from object and thing from thing, that is also a central issue in Chinran's Buddhist thought. As Shinran states in a commentary, the word to encounter implies form, suggesting that a person's uncalculated encounter with what is real, the vow, the name, etc., requires the compassionate activity of self-manifestation as apprehensible form. Uh, This leads to our second topic of givenness, the summoning of beings by what is real. As we have seen, to treat the relationship between the two dimensions of formlessness and form, or of the inconceivable and the discriminative, Shinran refers to the concept of the twofold Dharma body, in which the two opposing dimensions unfold into each other in the process of awakening beings, and that he terms Jinan. Uh, From this treasure ocean of oneness, our Dharma body is Dharma nature. Form was manifested, taking the name uh, Bodhisattva Dhammakara, who 
through establishing the unhindered vow as the cause, became Amida Buddha, Dharma body, as compassionate means. This Tathagatha uh, is light. Light is none other than wisdom. Wisdom is the form of light. Wisdom is, in addition, formless. Hence, this Tathagatha is inconceivable light Buddha. Uh, the spontaneous unfolding of reality as wisdom compassion may not be a concept either available or acceptable to Heidegger, but he develops a functionally analogous pair of terms in on the origin of the work of art. Uh, this lecture revisits and expands on the treatment of truth in the earlier essay on the essence of truth by focusing on the work of art as the locus of the event of truth. To explore the work being or functioning of the artwork as the happening of truth, Heidegger sets forth the dichotomy of earth and world, uh, which in aspects of its broad outline may be brought into comparison with Shinran's twofold Dharma body. Uh, of course, Heidegger, uh, in a kind of uh, more uh, secular vision, uh, and Chinran's uh, very, very much narrowly uh, focused uh, on uh, Dharma body's true reality. Heidegger's concept of world remains basically that seen above, not a mere collection of things, nor a merely imaginary framework added to our representation to the sum of things that are present. A world is always non uh, is always non objectual, uh, yet enables our apprehension of things as meaningful, uh, uh, meaningful parts of our surroundings. In other words, we do not grasp world, but we see uh, um, the things that world uh, makes manifest or enables to be manifest. In function, functioning to make things available to our understanding, our world worlds and is more fully in being than all those tangible and perceptible things in the midst of which we take ourselves to be at home. Earth, introduced in, on the origin of the work of art to complement world, may be understood to express the counter-movement of concealment that is inherent in truth. Thus, earth shatters every attempt to penetrate it and is apprehended and preserved as the essentially undisclosable as that which withdraws from every disclosure. In other words, keeps itself constantly closed up. And we, we've seen this, this dynamic of things emerging and that requiring um, a, a hiddenness, a concealment, um, the concealment enabling the manifestation as, as things that we, we can uh, perceive, grasp, uh, conceptualize, apprehend. Several points may be noted with regard to our concerns here. First, the duality of earth and world, like the twofold Dharma body, is used to delineate the dynamic circularity moving between formlessness or non discrimination on the one hand and the field of discriminative apprehension or conceptual understanding on the other. These two dimensions of reality or of the happening of truth while standing in polar opposition as uh, i'm sorry while standing in polar opposition are for both thinkers interfused uh, 
Thus, Heidegger states, world and truth are essentially different and yet never separated from one another. Further, he states, world is grounded on earth and earth rises up through world. These statements have their close parallel in Shinran concerning the interaction between the two dimensions as we've seen. Uh, Shinran quotes Tanluan's formulation, Dharma body is compassionate means, form arises from Dharma body as Dharma nature, formless reality, and Dharma body as Dharma nature emerges into human awareness from Dharma body as compassionate means. These two dimensions of Dharma body differ but are not separable. They are one but not identical. Uh, this is a, a very important quotation for Shinran. Uh, further, both thinkers propose uh, that the relationship of interaction between formless reality and forms also signifies, regarding the aspect of the subject, that human awareness is brought into contact with the dimension of the formless through and as apprehension of things in the world of form. Uh, so, uh, in form, uh, we can also encounter uh, the formless, uh, the formlessness, uh, that is true reality. Uh, such a dynamic is in fact required for the apprehension of beings in their truth and reality. For ordinary human understanding absorbed in the field of things cannot attain such a grasp through its own discriminative operations. In relation to the functioning of the artwork then, on the one hand, the work makes manifest both world and earth. Rising up within itself, the work opens up a world and keeps it abidingly in force. To be a work means to set up a world. And this is Heidegger's uh, understanding of the work of art. Heidegger takes as one of his main examples the, the ancient Greek temple, which uh, in a sense shapes or uh, forms the, uh, the entire world around it. The work moves the earth into the open of the world and holds it there. The work lets the earth be in earth. The setting up of a world and the setting forth of earth are two essential traits belonging to the work being of the work. Within the unity of that work being, however, they belong together. Um, while earth rises up through world to become manifest as essentially self-secluding, on the other hand, there is a reciprocal opposite movement. This, this setting forth of the earth is what the work achieves by setting itself back into the earth. The setting itself back into the earth expresses a movement perhaps analogous to Shinran's notion that in order to make it known that Supreme Buddha is formless, the name Amida Buddha is expressly used. So that Amida Buddha fulfills the purpose of making us know the significance of Jinen. Jinen, in fact, holds a multiple significance more complex than Heidegger's Fusus. It is formless, inconceivable reality, and it is a dynamic of the emerging of form that further brings beings to awareness and to attainment of formlessness. In other words, it enables encounter, which implies form, as in Amida Buddha, or vow, or name, 
and further draws beings endlessly into formless reality. In interpreting a passage from the larger sutra, Shinran states, uh, the sutra states, never at variance with the pure land, one is drawn there by its spontaneous working, jinen. The person who has realized true and real Shinjin naturally by jinen is in accord with the cause of birth in the pure land and is drawn by the Buddha's karmic power. Hence, going to the pure land is easy and ascending to and attaining the supreme great nirvana is without limit. Jinen means that there is no calculating on the part of the practicer. The in his dichotomy of earth and world, however, Heidegger moves toward a structure of thought similar uh, to Shinran's. Heidegger states, the earth is openly illuminated as itself, only where it is apprehended and preserved as the essentially undisclosable, as that which withdraws from every disclosure. In other words, keeps itself constantly closed up. That earth is essentially undisclosable and formless may be openly illuminated uh, in the artwork means. Uh, the self-seclusion of the earth is, however, no uniform, inflexible staying in the dark, but unfolds rather into an inexhaustible richness of simple modes and shapes. It, in words of Sang Zhao, uh, quoted by Tan Luan and reproduced uh, in Chinran, uh, the Dharma body, being formless, takes on all forms. In being without words, profound writing spread more and more widely. It may be objected that despite the structural parallels in their thought, Shinran's conception of Jinen is specifically soteriological, while Heidegger explicitly avoids an overtly theological orientation in seeking to illuminate human existence in the world. Thus, while Jinen indicates the working of reality, moving beings toward awakening, Fusus in Heidegger's thought bespeaks the general worlding of the world, our ordinary or usual perception. For this reason, while Shinran interprets the motive force moving in his concept of Jinen in anthropomorphic terms, such as wisdom, compassion, Heidegger employs neutral, impersonal concepts of sway and polemis. Two points may be briefly noted here regarding this objection. First, concerning Shinran, although the metaphor of emergence into the field of human apprehension is applied particularly to the salvific working of reality, formless, supreme Buddha, suchness, Dharma nature, and so on. This does not necessarily mean that his concept of Jinan is restricted to overt manifestations of Buddhist transmission, such as Amida's vow and name, Shakyamuni's teaching, or Honen's preaching. Jinan as becoming so of itself not through the practices calculation, also characterizes the modality of the practicer's present existence and the existence of things of the world in which the person carries on her life. This is because, as we have seen, the world of the practicer is one in which tathagatha, true reality, suchness, and so on, pervades the countless worlds. It fills the hearts and minds 
of the ocean of all beings. Thus plants, trees, and land all attain Buddhahood. Formless reality is said to fill the mind of the practicer and all things of the world. The practicer comes to apprehend this reality through its realization as Shinjin. And in such apprehension, Shinran states, how joyous I am realizing as I humbly reflect that my heart and mind stand rooted in the Buddha ground of the universal vow and that my thoughts and feelings flow within the Dharma ocean, which is beyond comprehension. The Dharma ground, uh, the Buddha ground or Dharma ocean, which is beyond comprehension, may be said to indicate the dimension of formless reality that pervades the countless worlds and in which the practicer and all things have their existence. According to Shinran, Jinen may be said to be a synonym for truth as dharmicness or hosoku, meaning the way that things have become settled to be. Uh, and, and this this annotation uh, occurs only in in Ichinen uh, Tanemoi, the notes on one's calling and many calling, uh, as part of Shinran's interpretation of, uh, of the the passage uh, at the end of the larger sutra, uh, where Shakyamuni entrusts uh, the teaching. Uh, uh, that is, uh, they are uh, they are in themselves, in the world, and human involvement, and not as objects of calculated thinking empirically observed by the self. Thus, dharmicness expresses the natural working jinen in the life of the person who realizes shinjin and says the name once. Uh, th this passage uh, where. Uh, Shinran uh, interprets uh, the term uh, dharmicness uh, or hosoku um, I think is, is quite unusual. There's, there's not very much in, in the commentarial literature uh, that deals with it, uh, but uh, I am suggesting here that it, it may be taken in a broad sense, um, a broad sense that can be developed out of uh, Shinran's uh, thinking uh, about Jinen, uh, a broad sense uh, that that is uh, inclusive not only of uh, the symbols of the Pure Land teaching, but uh, but inclusive of, of the things in the world uh, in in which we carry on our existence. Uh, second, Heidegger tracing perhaps a reverse path from Shinran's is led from reflection on the locus of truth as event toward anthropomorphic expressions of the holy in setting forth the principal significance of the earth for human existence. Uh, Fusis lights up that on which man bases his dwelling. We call this the earth. Uh, what this word means here is far removed from the idea of a mass of matter and from the merely astronomical idea of a planet. Earth is that in which the arising of everything that arises is brought back as indeed the very thing that it is and sheltered. In the things that arise, the earth presences as the projecting one. Uh, 
As we have seen, Earth shares the dual character of truth or the non-duality of discrimination or differentiation and non-discrimination that we have been considering. Earth is the coming forth concealing. On the one hand, all things of the Earth, the Earth itself in its entirety, flow together in reciprocal harmony. And on the other hand, this confluence is no blurring of outlines. In addition, like Jinen, Earth is that which cannot be forced, that which is effortless and untiring, unyielding to calculative grasp or contrivance. Earth shatters every attempt to penetrate it, and yet emerging to the patient, heedful mind so that Earth presences in the things that arise in the world. Further, Earth is that in which all arising of everything that arises is brought back and sheltered. Earth presences as the protecting one. Uh, uh, protecting ones. Uh, here we find expressed a function of Earth that is perhaps analogous uh, to Shinran's perception of Amida Buddha as fulfilling the purpose of making us know the significance of Jinan and of the Dharma Ocean uh, within which his thoughts and feelings flow. As he carries on his present life in the world, Heidegger goes on to state, on and in the earth, a historical man founds his dwelling in the earth. This sense of dwelling simultaneously or coincidentally in the field of discrimination and attachments and in the dimension uh, of the inconceivable is crucial for both Shinran and Heidegger. Uh, and uh, going on now to uh, theme for today, try to, to move from our considerations of uh, existing um, in a world in which uh, things appear, uh, the relationship uh, between uh, human life and, and uh, the things of the world, um, to a sense of, of mindful dwelling and engagement uh, with the things of the world. As we have seen in their explorations of truth, both Shinran and Heidegger seek to avoid the distortions rooted in the reification of subject and object and the consequent absorption in egocentric calculative thinking. They therefore focus on issues of how reality emerges into the field of finite human awareness. To sketch the contours of this event of truth, both thinkers evolve uh, complex but structurally similar conceptions of reality as simultaneously ungraspable and dynamic. Uh, Heidegger's fusus embraces both being itself and beings coming into appearance in humanly meaningful context. And Shinran's Jinan involves both formless Buddha and a bi-directional dynamic of the arising of form uh, as Amida Buddha or vow or name, the arising of form and beings awakening and thereby to formless reality. So bi-directional in, in this sort of uh, dynamic between the formless and form. Nevertheless, both Shinran and Heidegger find it necessary to continue the trajectory we have been sketching beyond the polarity of the twofold Dharma body or the struggle of earth and world. This is because a simple polarity alone cannot adequately elucidate the locus of understanding as at once utterly situated and 
true, that is, as occurring within the limits of mutually conditioning interrelationships and at the same time uh, aware of uh, inconceivability or mystery. There are several elements needed for a fuller depiction of human apprehension of that which is true and real. One is a characterization of the mode of existence in which such apprehension takes place. Another is the demarcation of the locus of such existence, given the nature of the dynamic of apprehension itself. Uh, so first, uh, the human existence as dwelling. Uh, regarding the first issue, both Shinran and Heidegger employ the metaphor of dwelling as a central uh, metaphor for ongoing human existence in genuine engagement with truth or reality. That is, not, not just our ordinary uh, sense of uh, existing or dwelling, but uh, a, a self-aware uh, dwelling. For both thinkers, uh, it may be said that to dwell uh, expresses the mode of existence uh, in which persons abide in the highest fulfillment of their existence as human beings. Heidegger states that man is insofar as he dwells. For Heidegger, the genuine sense of dwelling uh, as bow and building, uh, uh, Heidegger uh, looks at uh, the word, German word bow and uh, sort of etymologically, and he uh, states that um, uh, the basic meaning, uh, even prior to or more fundamentally than, than building, the modern sense of building, making something, uh, is dwelling or cultivating, nurturing. Uh, and Bowen has that meaning, and he, he wants to, to draw that out. Uh, the genuine sense of dwelling takes, uh, tends to fall into oblivion as attention is focused on various means of livelihood. And thus modern man in particular is beset by a sense of alienation and homelessness. Uh, for Shinran, the verb to dwell, jusu, uh, is a central expression uh, for the mode of existence of the person who has realized Shinjin. Persons of Shinjin dwell or abide in the stage of non-retrogression. Uh, they dwell among the truly settled, uh, dwell uh, in the same stage as Maitreya, uh, dwell in Amida's vow. Uh, their heart and mind uh, constantly reside in the Pure Land, uh, even as they live out their lives in this world. Uh, so uh, this this uh, verb juice used repeatedly uh, with various expressions uh, to um, uh, describe the mode of existence of, of the person who has realized uh, Shinjin. <clears throat> Why should both Shinran and Heidegger employ the m metaphor of dwelling uh, to refer to genuine, fulfilled human existence in the world? Uh, probably in, in, in Shinran, uh, of course, I, he, he is not unique in using this uh, verb, but it, of course, uh, uh, is a common term and is, it occurs in uh, passages of the larger sutra that Shinran quotes. Uh, and, and probably for Shinran, it has a special sense also of, of being firmly settled. Um, so uh, not, not, not simply dwelling. Um, and and uh, but as as an 
expression for genuine and fulfilled human existence. For both thinkers, it characterizes existence in unwavering contact and interchange with that which exceeds conceivability and yet enables apprehension of what is true and real. There are, I think, three important aspects of the experience of dwelling that both thinkers may be said to share to varying degrees, though with different emphases, settledness, givenness, and compassion or uh, uh, preserving or caring for. As I said, uh, Heidegger uh, understands Bowen as dw dwelling, um, but also as, as nurturing, as cultivating, and so on. This, this preserving, this bearing, caring for state. It will not be possible to draw parallels or comparisons in detail here, but to say, suggest a general direction of thought, I will briefly consider a single passage from Heidegger uh, from uh, Building Dwelling Thinking, and this is, uh, this is a, a later, much, uh, much later than the, the two other essays we've taken up, um, and then take up a complex of similar elements in Shinran. Heidegger states, uh, the Goth Gothic uh, union, a cognate of Bowen to remain, to stay in a place, says more distinctly how this remaining is experienced. Uh, union means uh, to be at peace, to be brought to peace, to remain in peace. The word peace, uh, Friede, it means to free, thus fry, and uh, fry means uh, preserved from harm and danger, preserved uh, from something, safeguarded. To free really means to spare. The sparing itself consists not only in the fact that we do not harm one whom we spare. Real sparing is something positive and takes place when we leave something beforehand in its own nature. And probably uh, the sense earlier that we have seen of uh, Galassenheit has something of this sense. Uh, uh, the fundamental character of dwelling is this sparing and preserving. It pervades dwelling in its whole range. Uh, the three characteristics of the experience of dwelling may be seen expressed here in succession. Regarding settledness, to dwell implies being at ease, knowing oneself secure, whatever may occur. This results from apprehending the sources of one's existence in the concealed and inconceivable. Thus, it is to be at peace, to be brought to peace, to remain in peace. This peace or security is not gained through exertion of self-will, but is given as a freedom from absorption in one-dimensional calculative thinking. Further, this givenness is expressed in terms of passivity, dwelling as being preserved from harm and danger, preserved from something safeguarded. At the same time, however, such preserving manifests itself in an active sense. Real sparing is something positive, for Heidegger, to dwell is bowen in a twofold sense of cultivating and building. And this word bowen, however, also means at the same time to cherish and protect, to preserve and care for, specifically to till the soil, to cultivate the vine. 
to consider these briefly as they appear in Shinran's thought. Uh, for Shinran, to dwell expresses a settledness, uh, Saramaru, uh, possessing several dimensions. Uh, the most important may be seen in the following quotation. Practicers who have realized true Shinjin abide in the stage of the truly settled, uh, for they have already been grasped by the light of Amida's Buddha compassion, wisdom compassion, never, never to be abandoned. There is no need to wait in anticipation for the moment of death, no need to rely on Amida's coming. At the time Shinjin becomes settled, birth too becomes settled. There is no need for the deathbed rites that prepare one for Amida's coming. Because Shinjin has become settled in one, Shinran also expresses this as Amida's giving the Buddha mind to beings and as one attaining or acquiring the mind of entrusting that is itself the Buddha's mind. One's birth in the pure land and attainment of enlightenment at death becomes settled that is inevitable, determined, coming about of itself. Because of the realization of this Shinjin, a person necessarily attains the supreme nirvana. Settled has this meaning of the firmness of the outcome resulting from present attainment, realization of Shinjin, or certainty of the eventual uh, result, birth, enlightenment, because at bottom it indicates for Shinran's a person's awakening to and enduring contact with the dimension of formless reality. Uh, and in this, I think that there is basically a, uh, a deep strain of, uh, of fundamental Mahayana thinking, uh, the, the awakening uh, to suchness, for example, uh, resulting. Uh, in the bodhisattva's uh, attainment of the stage of non-retrogression, uh, of attaining non-retrogression because uh, the bodhisattva has touched in deep samadhi, uh, suchness or true reality. Uh, according to Shinran, uh, once this occurs, it is subject to no regress, uh, though the person remains immersed in the happenings of ordinary life. In addition to the meaning of the stability of a radically transformed mode of existence, settled also expresses a sense of equanimity and assurance. There is no need to wait in anticipation for the moment of death. Having been grasped by the dimension of the inconceivable, death has also ceased to be a source of anxiety and uncertainty. A second shared characteristicated a characteristic indicated by the metaphor of dwelling is givenness. This is stated by Shinran in his concept of Amida's giving echo of all aspects of the path, teaching, practice, realization to sentient beings. The vehicle for this giving is Shinjin as the mind of Amida, as the mind of the Buddha, which is itself directed to or given to beings by Amida. Moreover, this mind of Shinjin is formless Dharma body pervading all sentient beings. Thus, the call, which is Shinran's metaphor, of the teaching uh, and the response or practice, Nembutsu, are both the unfolding of what is real as the life of the being. At another level, 
for Shinran, the fragility and contingency of one's own existence is supported and protected by powers one cannot know. Finally, Shinran states that the gift of bringing to a kind of dwelling described above manifests itself in gratitude and compassionate concern for beings so that persons who have realized changing constantly practice great compassion. Thus, those who feel that their own birth is completely settled should, mindful of the Buddha's benevolence, hold the Nembutsu in their hearts and say it uh, to respond in gratitude to, the benevolent, uh, to that benevolence uh, with the wish, uh, may there be peace in the world and may uh, the Buddha's teaching spread. Uh, and then concerning the locus of dwelling, for both Shinran and Heidegger, to dwell uh, is also delimiting. It is to recognize one's existence as fused with one's own particular historical, geographical, and cultural locale. Both thinkers share a strong sense of their concrete point within the flow of epical change over broad extents of time and of their secluded place in the global landscape. To dwell expresses this self-awareness of fundamental situatedness that belongs to genuine human existence. It means to sense the bounds of time and place that form the horizon of one's very possibilities, of the very possibilities of one's own awareness and this, this awakening or sense of one's own finitude. To, to delineate the locus of dwelling, both Shinran and Heidegger again devise structurally similar conceptual motifs. In Heidegger, this is the fourfold, which is developed particularly in his later essays, uh, Building, Dwelling, Thinking, and The Thing. Uh, in Shinran, it is a fundamental framework that informs his thinking regarding a number of central issues, such as the nature of Amida Buddha, the cause of birth in the Pure Land, and the nature of Shinjin. There are two basic elements for both Shinran and Heidegger. First, two polarities that form axes along which there is constant tension and movement. And second, the point of intersection of the two axes uh, which forms the locus of dwelling of genuine human existence or of the manifestation of things. This structure would account for the necessity of the fourfold in Heidegger as well as the complexity of Shinran's exposition of a number of key concepts as well as a complexity in his use of imagery that distinguishes it from, for example, that of Tan Luan. The necessity of the structure itself would seem to lie in the paradoxical nature of the basic problem both thinkers face of accounting for the apprehension of the inconceivable as inconceivable from within a situation of ignorance and finitude. That is, how do we grasp truth from within our own ignorance? In Heidegger, the two axes are earth and sky and divinities and mortals. Uh, so these, this, 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 the fourfold uh, that form uh, the four poles of the two axes. 
perhaps these two dynamics, I, I should say that Heidegger does not speak in those terms. In other words, he, does, he, he doesn't speak of, of axes, but it, it seems that that may be an appropriate image. Perhaps these two dynamics or axes may be seen as reflecting the two aspects of Bowen as cultivating and building. For the sake of brevity, in the case of Shinran, we may focus on the two axes seen in the following passage. Thus, when one has boarded the ship of the vow of great compassion and sailed out on the vast ocean of light, the winds of perfect virtue blow softly and the waves of evil are transformed. The darkness of ignorance is immediately broken through and quickly reaching the land of immeasurable light, one realizes great nirvana and acts in accord with the virtue of samatya That is, one, one carries on the, the bodhisattva path, the bodhisattva practice in this world. Let this be known in, in the world of samsaric existence. I, I think this passage uh, is, is a very uh, good expression of, uh, of, of Shinran's sense of living within the realization of Shinji. Drawing on Chinran's imagery in this passage, we may, we may say that the axes are the winds of virtue, the working of the vow, and the waves of evil, and that is personal karmic existence, including uh, the kar one's, one's own karmic past, and, and the working out of one's karma into the future. And the darkness of ignorance, uh, our own ongoing ignorance, or or afflicting passions, and the land and ocean of light, uh, light as the symbol of the Buddha's wisdom, compassion. It is at the, this point of intersection that we find perhaps the deepest fundamental difference uh, between the views of the two thinkers. For both, the intersection involves a fusion of spatial and temporal elements. For Heidegger, it is a locus where one has become a mortal capable of death and dies continually uh, as long as he remains on earth. And this, uh, Heidegger continues uh, his concern with mortality, a, a central feature of his earlier work, which focused more on human uh, subjectivity and on uh, uh, moods like uh, the, the deep uh, dread or anxiety uh, uh, concerning death. Uh, for Shinran, however, the intersection is the unfolding of the transformative moment in which one becomes a foolish being incessantly animated by false attachments so that anger, wrath, jealousy, and envy are overwhelming, arising without pause to the very last moment of life. They do not cease or disappear or exhaust themselves. Thus, the character of the finitude of human existence that emerges as self-aware and self-reconciled is fundamentally different in the two thinkers. For Heidegger, it is death that inhabits the present, and for Shinran, it is afflicting passions. Nevertheless, despite this basic difference regarding the nature of human existence, the structural parallels 
in methodology and focus of thought that we have charted here suggest that new non-reductive approaches for interpreting and developing Shinran's Pureland path in our contemporary situation may emerge from comparative considerations with the thought of Heidegger. I, I did not draw out uh, this, this comparison of, of the fourfold in Heidegger with, with Shinran's sense of dynamics. Uh, again, for, for Heidegger uh, in his late essays, the fourfold is the, the, the locus uh, of our ongoing uh, existence in the world, our, our, our awareness or the, the manifestations of, of things uh, themselves. I think uh, the fourfold as a dynamic, um, may, uh, this fourfold dynamic may be seen as uh, a solution uh, Heidegger reaches to the initial uh, problem of the, the duality of subject and object. In other words, it, it is a, a sort of non-reified um, delineation of how awareness can occur, how awareness can occur to us. Um, uh, and in other words, it, it can help us uh, overcome a, a substantialized view, uh, the sense of ourselves standing apart from and viewing the world um, <clears throat> from a kind of absolutized standpoint and turning all, all the objects in the world into uh, in, into uh, uh, or all the things in the world into substantial objects. Um, Heidegger's solution to that problem. Uh, and, in, and in Shinran, uh, the, the, the problem of uh, the, the apprehension, the realization of Shinjin, uh, the apprehension uh, of uh, Amida's vow, in all, in all the complexity that, that he, he draws out here. Uh, again, uh, not a dualistic uh, notion of of faith as a person uh, sort of entrusting to or having faith in, relying upon uh, some uh, uh, objective principle that has been set in motion, uh, but uh, something uh, much more dynamic and uh, with an underlying non-duality. I might mention here uh, concerning the, the earlier uh, uh, a discussion about uh, time, especially the, the paradox of time in the narrative of the primal vow. Uh, th this is, uh, Shinran of course doesn't speak of it, and then it, it's not really treated very much uh, uh, in, in, in the tradition, but it does occur uh, in texts, and it, it occurs in, uh, it, or, or probably it enters into Shin uh, tradition. Um, in particular, uh, in the Anjin Ketsu Josho, in uh, 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 the, the text uh, much valued by uh, Renyo. Uh, Renyo called it a, a gold mine, a golden uh, piece, of, a, a very uh, important writing for him. Um, and, and it opens with, with the paradox, uh, the paradox of if uh, the vow has already been fulfilled uh, ten kalpas in the past, and then uh, why are why are we still um, in in samsaric existence ourselves here? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I think this question, however, uh, arises or was used uh, not by Shinran and not in. Uh, 
the early Xin tradition so much as uh, by uh, Shoku and in uh, the Cezanne tradition. And in fact, uh, it is generally thought now that uh, the Anjin Katsujosho is either uh, a work coming directly out of uh, the Cezanne tradition, uh, the Cezanne pure school tradition, or uh, very strongly influenced by it, probably the former, probably a Cezanne work. Some, some scholars have uh, sort of identified a, a, a Cezanne figure uh, who may be a likely candidate as the author of the work. Uh, so even though uh, Renyo uh, greatly treasured the work. Uh, and the Cezanne usage, I'll just um, sort of mention this uh, because it, it does form a contrast with, with Shinran's usage. The, uh, the, the uh, Shoku's uh, uh, sort of treatment uh, of, of this problem is that um, uh, what is the, the problem for us is uh, becoming aware uh, that the vow has been fulfilled. Ten, Ten couples ago, and and that in fact, our our birth in the Pure Land was already achieved by Amida Buddha ten kalpas ago. So as long as we insist on are attached to our own capacities, uh, then we do not entrust ourselves to the vow. But in fact, uh, when we awaken uh, to the fact that uh, the vow was already com completed, fulfilled uh, ten kalpas ago, then. Uh, we, we can genuinely entrust ourselves and, and say the nembutsu. But, but I think that this, this raises a, a kind of conceptuality um, or it, it sort of uh, uh, makes an object uh, of the vow narrative and the vow's fulfillment, the vow itself. Uh, in a way that a Shinran avoids. So, so I think that there's a strong contrast between um, uh, uh, the, the understanding of uh, the meaning of the vow narrative um, in, in Shinran and in, in Shoku, or at least the contrast may, may be seen um, by comparing those works. But if you look at uh, the, the opening of Anjin Ketsu Joshua, uh, you, you, you'll see the question arising there probably, I think, from Cezanne tradition. Um, there, there are a few, a few more pages of the handout that I, I would just like to, to uh, look at briefly. Let's see. Um, oh, um, it, the, 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 the next pages, um, uh, B1 and B2, these are from uh, <clears throat> uh, Heidegger's essay, uh, Building Dwelling Thinking. Uh, and they, they set forth the fourfold. Uh, I, I think uh, they, they include part, parts of, uh, uh, of the text that um, we didn't look at earlier. Um, and, and so I, I think um, uh, perhaps uh, th that will be adequate. Uh, <clears throat> I, I would just, just note concerning it, uh, I think I, I mentioned this earlier also, that, that Heidegger in his later works uh, she seems to move from the earlier sort of focus on uh, Dasein as uh, human existence on, on uh, the, the moods of, of, um, of the human, uh, apparently the human subjectivity and so on, and, and did, did, uh, did move toward a greater concern with, uh, with things 
and not not uh, not objectified things, but the, but the things that appear, uh, the interaction. I mean, things appearing uh, involves uh, both the subject and object together. Uh, but but there is a kind of uh, a shift of focus uh, towards towards things, and the four, fourfold um, are a, a kind of gathering of of dynamics that come to appearance as things. Uh, but not as objectified, reified, you know, substantial things, uh, but as this this sort of uh, locus of dynamics, um, and, and it, it's in this way that he he tries to uh, articulate a, a model for thinking about our, our, our human awareness. I'd just like to look at, uh, finally, um, at uh, the C pages. There are two pages here. And what I would like to look at uh, on the handout uh, are um, passages from uh, an essay by Nishita Kitaro. Um, and and this, this seems to me, uh, it's a, a, an essay fairly early in, in Nishida's career. Uh, the essay, the Japanese title is Chihito uh, Ai, To Know and to Love. Uh, it, it is uh, included as an appendix to um, Nishida's uh, first uh, major work, uh, Zen no Kenkyu, uh, A Study of Good. Um, uh, but but it deals with uh, the subject of, of to know and to love. This, this is also a, a subject that is standard in, I, I think, uh, 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 Christian theology. That sometimes uh, the, this pair is used to to describe a God, the divine. So knowing is also loving. Uh, but um, and, and perhaps Nishida picks it up from there. But he, but he describes it in, in a way that I think are, are somewhat close to to our and to to a Buddhist uh, perspective, Buddhist interest. Uh, the the, um, the the essay begins on um, on the left hand side of of C1, the left hand side, of the indented quotation. To know and to love are usually thought to be two completely different functions of the mind. I think, however, that they are not at all distinct in kind, but are originally the same function. To know is to love. Briefly stated, both are the function of the fusing of subject and object. They are the function of the self becoming one with things. Why is to know the fusing of subject and object? It is when the delusional thinking of the self is eliminated, uh, when the so-called subjective element is completely extinguished, that we become one with the true reality of things. That is, when we come to be in accord with pure objectivity, uh, that we can know things truly uh, for the first time. And although he uses objectivity, this of course doesn't mean uh, what the, the uh, dichotomy. Um, he's, he's speaking of oneness, but he's, but he's sort of shifting focus. Uh, it's some, somewhat uh, like of, uh, Heidegger's uh, uh, shift uh, later in his life. Next, let us consider why to love is the fusing of subject and object. For us to love a thing means that we discard the self and become one with the other. It is when there is a union of self and other without the slightest gap between the two that genuine love arises for the first time. That we love a flower means that we become one with the flower. The more we abandon the ego self and become purely objective, that is, attain no self, the more love grows and deepens. Love advances from love between parent and child or husband and wife to love for friends, 
Love for friends advances and becomes love for all humankind. The Buddhist love extends to animals and grasses and trees. So um, the, the rejection of this sort of sub subject subjectivity, again, it, it, in Chinran's terms, it would be uh, calculative thinking, a self-power, attachment to self, and so on. And there's something very, very similar, the forgetfulness uh, that Heidegger speaks of, something similar there. Um, and, and I, I, I wanted to, to look at this in particular uh, for, because the quotation uh, continues. Um, I think I have quoted them somewhat out of order. Uh, the next uh, passage um, in, in the essay is on um, C2 on the right side, right-hand side, page 115, uh, the indented quote at the top of the page. I'll just look at this briefly. Uh, knowledge as we usually think of it, is the apprehension of a non-human object. Even when the object is human, knowledge is the apprehension of it when, we, when it is seen as non-human. By contrast, love is the apprehension of a human object. Even when the object is non-human, love is the apprehension uh, when it is seen as human. And this, of course, the uh, the problem uh, we we see other people we we think of them as rivals as uh, uh, as things uh, we objectify them make them objects make them instruments and so on uh, and, but over overcoming our own self attachment uh, uh, then then we can overcome that kind of uh, objectification also uh, so um, uh, the, the the sense of uh, of love is true true knowing true knowledge and and true love. Um, and then, uh, the, the, towards the end of the essay, it's, it's a short, uh, uh, four, four, three, four-page essay. Uh, the end, towards the end, uh, uh, Nishida uh, gives a passage uh, quoted on page 114 in the middle of the page. Uh, subjectivity is self-power, objectivity is other power. So he, he draws in. Uh, he uses uh, Shinran's terms here. Um, we know and love things by abandoning self-power and entrusting ourselves to other power. For us to know things and to love things means that we discard self-power and enter into genuine entrusting, uh, and the term here for, for Nishida is Shinji, that is other power. Uh, if the work of a human life is none other than to know and love, then we pass our days laboring out of the entrusting that is other power. And I, and I think there's a, there's a strong, well, it's, it's here in this kind of thinking that I, that I think we would find the, the, the ethical sort of dimension, uh, perhaps in Shinran, uh, certainly here, um, I express very clearly uh, in, in Nishis. That is, if the work, what, what is the work of our lives? Or uh, what what is uh, the, the meaning of our existence and and uh, the suggestion here the work of a human life is none other than to know and love and here uh, I think all all of all of the sort of ethical force underlying uh, the, the kind of delineation uh, of a sense of awareness that we see in Heidegger or in Shinran. Uh, I think it, it's present in, in, in this, this, this kind of uh, statement. Uh, I'm afraid I've run over time, uh, so uh, perhaps... Uh